Culture Kings. Culture Kings. Culture. <laughs> That's hilarious, Keith. Now I 100 agree with that. Okay, look, <laughs> damn, nah, for real though. I mean, look, look, Jaquise, say what you will. Uh, uh, Edgar, that's no. insane. You, I, I hate to do this. It's you. You've confused us again. I'm not Jaquise. I'm talking. I'm having a full on conversation with Jaquise right now, and you're interrupting us, Matt. You're having a conversation with Jaquise. Jaquise isn't even here. <laughs> no you're right he does look like that <laughs> he oh, does God. look like that <laughs> who wait who looks like who you look like that what jakeesh said are I, you not listening J- what jakeesh isn't here jakeesh is not here today so then who am i talking to matt i mean i don't know who you're talking to i think what's happening if i could project i hate to be sort of uh armchair uh psychologist as it were but I think you miss Jaquise, and right now, what you're you're projecting with your psyche is you're you'd rather him be here. He's your sort of security net, your safety, your your you know your your safety net, your security blanket. Um, so you wish he was here so bad that you're imagining you're having a conversation with him, but he's not here. And you think he said that I look like someone, and that's that's I need to know what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree with you, Jaquise. What Matt said is very fucking stupid. What? Uh, uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Well, for real, that you're some sort of security blanket. Because what? Yeah, I don't think that I'm funny enough to host the pod on my own. So I need Jaquise around, even if he's not around, because I would spiral without him and realize my own insecurities and realize the ways that I see myself, which are all negative. Okay. okay. So, Edgar, I hate to do this to you because you're going to hate what I'm about to say, but you sort of just did that um, sort of trite new like uh, movie comedy thing where they explain exactly what's happening and say they're not doing that. Okay, one, I don't act like I'm in movies at all, okay? That's ridiculous. I mean, am I right? So... Never ever say that about me ever again. You understand me, Matthew? You're right. You're right. I forgot. I I forgot that you don't do that. I am so worried about the microphone on this bed. Can I just say that? I feel like you're just going to hear clink, 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 clink this whole interview. Well, you hit the problem. I think it's going to be fine, but I do think that you could have solved a lot of this by not jumping up and down on the bed the entire time we recorded today. Well, look. I'm a little monkey. <laughs> okay, wait a second. Hey, do you want to hear a, a racist joke that I was told? Hmm. And I think that this is okay because you and I are both the targets of the joke. Okay, great. You are Mexican, right? You're at least half Mexican. I'm half. I, 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 at least I am confirmed. All right. And the other half is Puerto Rican. For those of you who are wondering if the other half That's is right. Funny. It is not. It's not. It's Puerto Rican. It's Puerto Rican. Um. Another memory just popped into my head that I'm not going to talk about on the podcast, but I won't talk about it on the podcast, but it's something that you told me about your dad that you later recanted. So you think, okay, I will say what you think it is. You think that I told you that my dad, okay, and what I, okay, yeah, you know what? I was about to say something. We're not going to get into that. <laughs> you did tell me this. You told me this. But okay, I my, my, uh, my high school teacher, Mr. Hack, which is a very hilarious name. Very good. 100% real. He was my algebra teacher in high school. Would, as a reward for my brother and I doing our math homework, and this was like, you know, back at this really small boarding school I went to, he would tell us a racist joke. If we were good kids, he would tell us a racist joke. Jesus. Uh, again, my brother and I were the only black kids in my class so, you know, these jokes were highly was, offensive. Can I ask, were these terms that you both agreed upon? Or he was like, guys, if you're good, I'll tell you a racist joke. We egged him on into it, which, look, <laughs> I don't think my brother and I should be responsible for that. We were 14. Like, no, yeah. You know <laughs> I mean, what? I was 14. He was 13, right? Because my brother skipped a grade. But our teacher should have known better than to tell us these jokes. <laughs> yeah, you know, if if two teenagers can trick a 
an educator into saying something racist, the that person wanted to say it. <laughs> yeah, the educator is the educator wanted to say it. Like, there's no one, right? Like, it's like it, it's not on the kid. But anyways, no. one of the ones that he told me. I mean, he told me so many. One of the ones that he told me was, "How do you get black kids to stop jumping on a bed?" Oh no! How? You put Velcro on the ceiling. And then how do you get them down? Oh, God. How? You tell the Mexicans next door they're pinatas. Oh, God. So he hit you with a twofer? Yeah. That, I think we got really good. I think we got a really you good You really good. You did you got, extra good. <laughs> <laughs> we did really good on a test. And he was like, all right, I got a twofer for you so, guys. For the, I mean, me hearing that. And just because I also produce Yo is this racist. I feel like I'm just at like a real crossroads here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, uh, I, you know, we would score good on a test and he'd say, OK, what's the difference between a Domino's pizza and a black guy? And we'd say what? And he said a Domino's pizza can feed a family of five. Like that was Damn. things that he would say to us when we were 14 and 13 years old. And this was um, what? In the year 2005, 2006? 2005, 2006, yeah. yeah. My so, grandpa you know, just died. So long ago. Yeah, then, not very long ago. You know, I, again, I do think about these things. It was things a different I do, time. I do wonder how I am functioning as an adult when I consider, like, again, you know, there are people who have experienced way far, you know, far worse forms of racism than me. But I sure. do wonder... How did I just make it through all of that? And why did I never react to any of that? I guess it was like some sort of a survival coping mechanism. Yeah. No, I agree, Jaquise. I, I, I do think like... <laughs> no, you're 100% right. No, yeah. But... um, Look, I forgot. He, I see. I even forgot Jaquise wasn't here. Yeah, because he, he is here. Anyway, Jaquise, you want to introduce our next guest? That's exactly correct. Okay, so I feel like somebody has to fill in the blank. Because <laughs> could you just humor? Could you humor me, Edgar? I know that Jaquise probably just said it really well and did a really good job. Like he, because he does his intros are he always to intros the guest. He does great. Would you mind just doing it so that like? Because I don't, I don't want to put this out there or whatever but i heard i heard some of the people that listen to the show they think edgar can't do the intros and i don't know if that's something that you want to prove them wrong but i i, I, I it started one, the scuttlebutt one how dare you insult me like some sort of child <laughs> and try to trick me into doing the intros okay if i wanted to intro jason concepcion also known as network okay who he was the host of a very amazing NBA desktop, very funny writer at The Ringer, also just an amazing, amazing, amazing Twitter presence, and a great fucking human being. I would just intro him, okay? You can't trick me into introing Jason Concepcion. If I want to intro him, I will intro him. Okay, but then how do I get you to eat these vegetables? <laughs> you ass silly. <laughs> Okay, look, Jason, there are so many things that okay. I want to talk to you about. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, okay, it, it, this is like, you know, I think Los Angeles is one of those places where you can know a person and sure. have never met them before, but then you can run into them. Like, you that know what ha- I'm saying? That happens. That and is, that happens. That happens. <laughs> and it happened to us. <laughs> it did happen to us. It did happen to us. I well, I know that you live in the same neighborhood as me, so I would yeah. have I've been on the lookout for it. Mm-hmm. And then I was walking uh, past an establishment. I don't want to dox us. Yeah, don't dox us. I won't dox us. But uh, walking, and I I'm look I'm staring at your face. We must was walking with my girlfriend, and we must have looked like psychos because we were like staring at you. And I was like. She, she was like, "Is that someone?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's Edgar," and and it was you. And it then was we walked me. up, and it was, and you recognized me with the mask on and everything. And then we well, and then we met for the first time in person. Well, 
here's what's crazy about it is when your girlfriend i, I noticed your girlfriend first because i was like oh no a white woman is looking at me i'm doing something wrong because i felt very <laughs> i felt very guilty about what i was doing all right and sure. i'll be i'll say it i was i was at a bar i was at an outdoor bar my first time doing it and i felt incredibly guilty and i was just yeah. like people are yeah. gonna and it was like on the sidewalks people were walking by and every time a person walked by i was like oh no they're judging me but then they went up to the bar in order to drink and I was like, oh, <laughs> they're just coming up but you guys didn't and you guys weren't stopping i could tell by the speed that you guys were walking that you guys weren't going to stop in order to drink and i was like oh my god these people are judging me i'm a fucking hypocrite I talk shit about this on the podcast all the time. And here I am having a beer on, you know, the street that we were on. Very popular street. And but then I was like, holy shit, it's fucking Jason. Well, I don't call you by your first name ever. This is my first time calling you. By, I'm constantly calling you network since That's college. Fine. I've called you network. That's fine. I remember when I first started uh, meeting people who knew me as my Twitter name. That was super weird. Because I'd meet mm. people out sometimes and they'd be and then I'd be with other people and they'd be like, why? What, what happened? I remember when my first when my Twitter account first started taking off. I was just mm -hmm. working like a regular job, like delivering leather for this company. OK. Uh, and <laughs> and, and <laughs> to who? To who, Jason? The question is to who? <laughs> so I worked for this. I worked for my uh, friends. Uh, my I worked for a friend's like uh, women's. Uh, handbag company and okay. my job was to fill orders like put handbags into packages and ship them out okay and to go to the leather supplier okay and deliver rolls of leather to them and then <laughs> uh on the way back deliver the finished handbags to the showroom so that was my job and then, okay. so at some point uh like my my work was like oh we're we're gonna we're starting a Twitter account, help, you're good at that. Help us, help us do it. So I was like, yeah. And they're like, we'll follow you. And then, and then all of a sudden my boss was like, wait, why do you have 40,000 followers? And I was like, I, <laughs> I can't explain it. I don't know how that happened. Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was, that was what I was doing when my Twitter account first uh, blew up. You know, I have this conception of you that now I'm doubting, but I've always sure. interpreted you as a Knicks fan. Like, for some reason, I feel like that's how I found you. Yeah, I was a huge Knicks fan. I'm a huge Knicks fan to this day. Are, are you from New York? Yeah, I'm from I'm from Queens and Long Island. I, I, gr okay. I grew up like I worked. Gabrus and I worked at the same beach. John Gabrus worked and I worked at the same beach, but from different ends of the of the cultural spectrum. He was a lifeguard, which means he was like basically the king of the beach. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. I worked for the state uh, emptying trash cans. But it was a fun job nonetheless. So, OK, this is my other thing that I want to talk. I assume based off of no prior knowledge, <laughs> just based off of your last name and my own upbringing, that you are Filipino. That's true. That's a true fact. Now, I grew up in New York City, uh -huh. did not know any Filipinos. I didn't even understand the concept of Filipinos. <laughs> Neither did I. I didn't know it either, except for my family and my extended family. It was not a thing when I was growing up. No, like now neither. it's like there's now it's a thing. There's restaurants yep. and like, yep. there's, you know, there's people on Top Chef and we're out here on, on social media talking about it. At the time, it was like I had to ex it was like. I had to explain what it was. It was yes. like people just were like, are you Chinese? That was it. That's exactly what I was going to say is that like to me, it was either you were Chinese or I didn't know. Like and that this is my own ignorance. I'm not yeah. speaking from a place of knowledge of whatsoever. Yeah. But then I moved to McAllen, Texas, and all of my friends were either Mexican or Filipino. So like oh, I, I, I don't want to say I know like. I like anytime I post pictures of me and my high school friends, it's always a bunch of Filipino people. And my friends are always <laughs> just like my friends out here who are Filipino are like, why the fuck do you know all these Filipino people? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm like, hey, yo, where's the puto at? And all the, like, you know, I'm like, like, I, I, I understand. Like, so what was that like growing up in this area where you were the only Filipino person? And then at what point did you feel like you came across more Filipino Americans. I mean, that's an interesting question. So uh, we we started out in Queens and then moved out to Long Island, Nassau County, mm -hmm. pr predominantly white area. It's oh, funny because yeah, right time. now there's a there's a uh, 
there's one of those participatory memes going around on Twitter, show me the celebrities you've been told you look like. And it's like, if I participated in that, it would be my mom telling me I looked like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And then <laughs> the only Asian people that were famous enough for the people I went to school with to know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's who they would then compare me. Like the, the, uh, the kid from uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Goonies and like Bruce Lee. That's what they, <laughs> that's what, <laughs> <laughs> that's who I would compare to. So it was, I mean, it was, it was interesting. There was like one Korean kid and, uh, uh, and one Vietnamese kid at my school, but that was it. And, and those were more like famous uh, Asian nationalities. So I definitely had to explain what it was a lot. I definitely had to be like, okay, the Philippines, it's an island chain. Uh, a lot of us work in nursing and yes. on cruise ships. Uh, I did not know that second thing. <laughs> yeah. That's like any ship you any kind of ship. You're going to find a lot of Filipinos on ships. You know, we love to be at sea. It's here's the three jobs that that Filipinos do mainly. Uh, Nursing. A ton of us. On ships. And then as domestic servants, primarily in uh, the Middle East and wealthier Asian nations. Like you'll find Filipino. I did not know that. Yeah, Filipino staff like in Saudi Arabia and stuff. My uncle for years and years and years and years worked in Saudi Arabia. And a lot of my uh, relatives worked for years and years and years as like domestic staff in Saudi Arabia. And then they'd be there eight, nine months of the year, send money back, come back a couple times a year. Um, so that's that that was big. The, it's, you know, the thing about the Philippines is it's mostly a, a, a diaspora economy. People... Most of the money, I think it's like half the GDP is people sending money from overseas back to the country from where they were. Yes. Um, yes. So it was it was a lot of explaining about what it was because, yeah, it's like mostly people just thought you were you were Chinese. And there was there were very few Filipinos around. So there was like a Filipino community in Jersey mm-hmm. at the time when I was growing up. And it was like my dad's uh, – extended family lived in Jersey. So we would go out there and see them. And then there was like one Filipino store, like an hour and a half away on Long Island somewhere where uh, my mom would drive us with my grandma so that we could get like ingredients that we couldn't get anywhere else. Um, And that was it. That was, that was really the, that was really my, uh, my connection to the culture as it were. I've spent a lot of my adulthood, like trying to connect with it um, because I didn't really, I wasn't really able to connect with it as a kid. Like I, I take Filipino, I took Filipino martial arts for a number of years. Oh, wow. Gone and visited. Like I, I try to eat the food as much as possible because it just was not a, it wasn't super present. Other than like my grandma and my closest relatives. That's like, you know, I mean, I I, I guess like I had a reverse experience where when I was in New York, the area that I lived in and where I went to church had a lot of Haitian people and not the area I lived in, but I was just like, I, I went to a school that was like a private school where a bunch of Caribbean parents sent their kids and I knew like all these Haitian kids, and it wasn't until I moved to McAllen, Texas, that I was just like, "Damn, I am gonna lose all my Haitian." Like, I my Creole is terrible now. I don't know how to cook any of the food. Like, my cousins look at me like I'm a disappointment whenever, whenever I go back to New York. Like, I've lost it all. But the culture that I did immerse myself in incredibly was Filipino culture because that's wow. just like what all of my friends did. So that's like it's so interesting that I've always assumed that New York was this incredibly multicultural place where it's like i don't care where you're from you could be from mars you'll Mm -hmm. find a little neighborhood that is you know uh uh, martian but i guess maybe back when you were growing up like like you said like filipinos hadn't yet arrived in the area or there wasn't like a neighborhood yet for sure like 80s and 90s when i was a a child there was not it just was not around i guess there was like nascent neighborhoods in jersey and queens Mm. Um, Queens specifically, like uh, around like where Shea Stadium is now. There's like a thriving Chinatown, and there's a Filipino community there. Yes, but really, it was not like until I want to say the last twelve, fifteen years, where it's like restaurants started opening up, mm-hmm. um, like uh, Jeepney downtown New York, other ones, and that 
like this sounds this is going to sound trite maybe but like uh people of filipino heritage getting on top chef you know like that kind of stuff was really big because then it was like food is one of the uh i sound like anthony bourdain now but food is one of the uh most accessible ways to like teach people about another culture to engage with yeah. another culture and that so and so people of filipino heritage being on top shelf really top chef really helped put us out there like on the map and now there's like filipino restaurants there's a bunch of them here in la that i'm i'm learning about but like it it, it was primarily the food that kind of let me know oh we're coming um and you know what else is um like the born movies so the Filipino martial arts deals a lot with there's a lot of like uh two st- like daredevil with the two sticks. Yeah. And so that kind of like that kind of like fighting with like a rolled up uh, newspaper style is heavily influenced by Filipino martial arts and that was another thing that kind of made me feel like oh we're we're coming up a little bit. I I noticed that your list missed someone who in high school was a name that I couldn't escape. Where every Saturday evening I was at an uncle or auntie's house watching this man. I hated him. I despised him. I rooted against him every time. Manny Pacquiao. Like, uh, do you feel like that was huge? No, he was huge. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, fight culture, you know, is like is is really big in Filipino culture because uh, I think you know, particularly for Asians writ large, like the the concept of like manhood in a Western uh, context. I think is is fraught, uh, mm-hmm. like masculinity. So I think that there, that was Manny Pacquiao was really something that a lot of uh, Filipinos and Asians in general could like get behind as as um, someone who was like a marker of of manhood that you know that you point to and say like okay, other than like Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan, here's a guy that could kick your ass. You know, yeah. Um, and yeah, he was absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. I, I mean, for me, what was so like, you know, fascinating about him was like, you know, I definitely wasn't around for Muhammad Ali. Yeah. I remember Mike Tyson a little bit. Like my only memory of Mike Tyson fighting was like this guy on the train being like, I'm going to bite your ear like Mike Tyson. And my mom being like, get yeah. away from my son. That's my <laughs> only memory of Mike Tyson at all. But like. Manny Pacquiao was like the first boxer that like I was allowed to watch the matches and like saw and like I, I yeah. 100% agree with you like he was this like icon that all of my friends wanted to be him all like some of them started growing that little mustache like they all started fashioning themselves oh man like him it, it's so funny because <laughs> in New York when I was like you know in there I don't think I look anything like Manny Pacquiao. Let me just say that. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. But not at all. <laughs> but in the in the really like boxing centric neighborhoods of New York, like for some reason, like amongst like Dominicans and <laughs> and Puerto Ricans, <laughs> they are all like they like I I'd walk into like a bodega and the guy like making my <laughs> Like bacon and cheese, like bagel, would go over to like the other guy and pull him over, and, and they'd be like, "Look at this guy!" And then they'd all of a sudden look at me and be like, "Pacquiao," and I'm like, "I don't think I look like him, but I appreciate it. <laughs> like, I appreciate that you think that I look like." Him. I went into a restaurant once where like waiters were going into the kitchen and bringing waiters out and bringing cooks out to be like. Doesn't this guy look like Pacquiao? Is there ever a part of you that like wants to take advantage of it? Like I, I don't, I don't have a celebrity that I feel like I look a lot like enough to ever take advantage of it. Like, but is there ever part of you that you will like? You'd like be like, fuck it, man. We're gonna go to French Laundry and just I'm Manny Pacquiao. (laughs) Yeah, right up. I don't think I, I don't think there was ever a point in time where you could have. Like, you know, again, I don't think my face looks like him, but let's say people did think that. I think that the physique would obviously just not (laughs) not lend itself to the comparisons to Manny Pacquiao. And then the other part of it is like, you know, as soon as the fists come up, uh, you know, I just do not have the hand speed. I don't have the ability to punch from different angles. I'm getting knocked out. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I find like, you know putting your cultural identity behind the sports. I mean, yeah. that is like something that fascinates me. I I'm also a massive Knicks fan, even though I, I consider myself a Knicks fan and hiding as of lately. Like, sure. You know, I, I have a ton of Knicks gear. That. I, 
Look, it, it's been rough, but I do have this dream, and I want y- you to tell me if this dream is possible. My dream is to take my father to a Knicks finals game. That's it. That's it. Before he dies, I want him to see a Knicks finals game. Do you, you know, think anything, my dream is possible? Anything is possible in this world. I've, I'll, I'll say this. I think that I've gotten, I've, uh, I've become more comfortable with my Knicks fandom once I gave up the idea that, that anything good could happen or would happen. <laughs> they cease to be able to hurt me at that point. And yeah. I still love the team, but I, I think it's, you know, go with God. If that's the way that you want to, if that's your dream, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and besmirch that. But I, but I, for me, I'm just here hoping, not hoping, but I want them to show me something good. You know, I, I've spent so many years being like, oh, this is, they've turned the corner this time and this hire shows Absolutely. that they, they've, that they've figured it out and now they're really going to rebuild. And this time, at this point, it's like, okay, guys, show me. Do something that moves the needle in terms of wins and losses, and 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 then I will believe. Until that time, listen, I love the Knicks. I'll talk myself into Tom Thibodeau. I think James Dolan's a piece of trash. I don't like that guy, but no. uh, but I'm a fan, and I I realize we're going to be bad, and I won't let it hurt me. Listen, if the Knicks get in the finals, I will absolutely be insufferable. But I can't uh, uh- allow myself to think about it right now. Okay, Jason, I think that you are probably one of the most brilliant, funniest basketball minds. Like I told you on the DMs that you got my girlfriend's brother and I to lay down the arms and watch your show. (laughs) Like, because we were at each other's throat. All right. I want to tell you something he did to me. I want to say something he did to me. Okay. I went into my office to work the day after the Lakers won the championship. And I look at my whiteboard and on it, it says Clippers. With a percent win, like a chance of winning the finals. Uh, who else was it? Rockets, a percentage of winning the championship. <laughs> and then it said Lakers, and it was circled. He circled it, and it said zero percent. And I was this motherfucker, like knew that I hated this. I, I look, I, I'll be honest. I despise LeBron James. I am that guy. It's okay. I don't like him. I've never liked it. him. I get but it. But to hear you, who I think is a brilliant basketball mind say you're gonna talk yourself into thibs i don't see it my man i just don't Uh, here's the here's the way i look at it right okay the knicks to me are i grew up with them they mean a lot to me they're like i look at them like a family member that's like going through uh like an alcohol or a drug problem right okay you love them i love them I, i love the knicks deeply right i also know that they need to get their act together and so I'm not going to expend too much energy other than to say, hey, I'm here if you need anything to support you. But I'm not going to be like, yeah, come come live with me. Come yes. live inside my heart. Yes. That's for when you get your shit together. Okay. So that's the way I approach it. As, as, as a family member that's just going through a thing right now, I'm hoping eventually they get their life together and I'm pulling for them in that regard. But I'm also not like – Hey, let's hey come over to the house this weekend and let's hang out with the kid. Like that's not going to happen. Your bubbles sister in the wire. Where you're just like, look, right. I appreciate that you're clean. That's exactly what it is. You got to live in the basement. I'm sorry, you're not living upstairs with us. Like that's not that's right. happening. That's right. All right, I get that. I get that. Okay, there's another thing I've wanted to talk to you about. You sure. understand television amazingly. Our pop culture overall. Like you, I appreciate that. Your succession takes. I told you this on, on Friday. Spot on. Spot on. Is there any part of you that's interested in TV writing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've I've done uh, dabbled a little bit. Um, I've got some projects out there with um, I'm writing partners with Shea Serrano. So there's some things that we do. I just oh. I just love it. Like I was, you know, I, I, I was in a large in a really large sense, like raised on TV. You know, my mom was mm-hmm. like a single mom for a large portion of my childhood. I had a TV in my room, which I think was a big mistake on her part. But like, I, I, <laughs> very rare for an immigrant kid. Super rare. Well, I wasn't allowed to turn it on after. I, I was only allowed to watch it between like three and four thirty. So that was like okay. GI Joe, a bunch of cartoons, Oprah, mm-hmm. and like whatever. I, I mean, I watched so much Oprah, years of Oprah. But I, I, 
would absolutely turn it on after they all went to, like I would put it on like volume half of one and mm-hmm. watch to if lights were going on in the hallway and I'd turn it off real quick. So, I, you know, I feel like I was raised by TV. And then the other thing is like as an immigrant, as a child of immigrants, Asian kid in a white neighborhood, I kind of I I think I'm just good naturally at like watching other people and trying to read them because it's like mm. it was like a uh not to put not to make it sound that serious but like in a large way like a survival mechanism because Absolutely. you need to you need to look at people and understand where they're coming from what they might be planning next who's going to roast me next who's going to try and bully me next or whatever who's friendly towards me and i think those kind of skills just you know uh transferred to uh thinking about what's going on in in people's minds even if they're fictional characters i mean i'd also say like Understanding all of that pop culture is also a way to like navigate those spaces too, right? Like the reason why I watch Seinfeld is because a bunch of my friends in the film program were oh. white and I needed to talk to them or else 100%. if I didn't watch Seinfeld, I couldn't talk to them. So like that's the part of that. That's like that. I, I don't know if it's the same for you, but like it's, there's also a thing of, you know, if you're funny, you get away with shit. People mm. cut you slack. You know what I mean? Like if you make, if you could make people laugh, or if you're willing to uh, make yourself the butt of the joke in some kind of way and and be funny about it, I think you get away with a lot more. And so that was like also like a mechanism that I had. Just Absolutely. Being able to talk about whatever the popular show is and then notice something about it to make people laugh and not get beat up or whatever. Were there ever characters that you like identified with? Like were there, was there like someone on any of those shows that you were walking back then? You're just like, I see myself as that. Oh man, you know, it's interesting. Now that you now that you mention it, I guess like not not too much, honestly. Like mm. um the, the most of the f- I in books, yes. You know, when I uh like fantasy stories and stuff like that, I always gravitated to um Star Wars to an extent because of like the dad stuff and like the the hero's journey kind of thing mm-hmm. I think is is universal. But like on television not really. Um I was always just interested in trying to learn about other people. This was like a sociology experiment to me like trying to you know trying to understand how other families other types of people worked. But I never really looked at him and went, "Oh, I'm exactly like this person i don't know did you ever did you ever do that i never i mean something that i thought about in therapy the other day was like i never ever saw myself as a lead character in a television show like i always saw myself as the side kid and what was funny is even when i watched black shows i identified like i mean roger from sister sister was like i'm Mm -hmm. that guy for sure like i know i'm that guy i'm the guy who's everyone's like get out of here you loser um but the kid that i always identified with the most out of every tell out of any television show growing up was and this is so embarrassing gordo on <laughs> on lizzie mcguire <laughs> <laughs> i was like that's me <laughs> that's me all right look you, I feel like when you were writing on Grantland, your name was Network. So yeah, like, for, yeah. How was it like transitioning to back to your actual name, Jason Concepcion? Like, how was was that like hard? Were people like being like, "Hey, man, nah, man, you're Network." Yeah, it was actually it was anxious for a while, you know, because before that. I was just working regular jobs. I had gone to school for music. It didn't pan out. And so I was like in a real weird space at that time where it was like uh, I kind of – I didn't really have uh, a lot of ambition to do stuff. Mm. And I, I didn't really see writing, certainly not tweeting or even like writing for money as like um, – as I never thought – that I would be good at it. I had no conception that I was good at it. So it was really a surprise when it turned out I was. 
And so it, I, I was I was anxious about it, actually. Like it, it took some convincing. It took, you know, my editors, um, Chris Ryan, Dan Fearman, who were like, hey, I think you should you should go by your name because it'll be easier for people to find you and they'll be, be able to attach it to something. And they were ultimately right. Um, but it was it was a little nerve wracking at the time because I, I, I was I didn't see it as like a real thing. You know what I mean? I, I saw it as like this weird side hobby that if I concentrated it on it too much and actually made it part of my uh, persona would f- fall apart somehow. Like if I do actually you, acknowledged it, it would go away. How much of that do you think was like you recovering from the hurt of like music not panning oh, out was, the way that? Oh, it was huge. I mean, with, like if you spent, listen, I spent my entire childhood thinking oh i'm so good at this thing this is going to be the thing that i do and i was good at it. i was talented enough at it um yeah but and so when it turns out that's not exactly true my your antenna just you lose all faith in your antenna like i mm. i felt like i didn't understand okay what am i good at i i thought i was good at this thing like i was so sure i was good at this thing but then it turned out that uh i wasn't in a way that would allow me to like eat food so therefore what am i good at i had no idea like at that point it's like i guess i'm good at like playing halo 10 hours a day like that was like what <laughs> i was good at like, what kind of music were you playing? Were you like in a band or something like that? Or yeah, I w- I was like in bands. I played jazz. I did some like uh, I did some like uh, I backed up um, this guy Carl Denson, who is uh, he is probably most famous for being in this uh, band called the Grey Boy All Stars. They were kind of like a like a funk jazz band, and also for being the sax player in Sexual Chocolate in Coming to America. Oh wow! And yeah, and so I, his I backed him up for a l- for a little while, and then I wanted to uh, do like film scoring and stuff. Like I wanted to be like the Nicholas Bratel of like that time, and just didn't pan out. It just it was like one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, like this is actually really hard, and I don't have any money or health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> so like, what what am I gonna do now? Like, uh, so it you know I just kind of stopped doing it and started just working any job that I could have. And that was do you was still, time. do you still play music like as like a relaxing thing? Do you ever like revisit any of the stuff that you did? I mean, no, it's, it, this was, it was a really weird thing for me to explain to people at the time, but the, I felt like the only way that I could make a break from it and figure out what was next in my life was to completely like kill it. Wow. Like to, to like drive the sword into its heart and just stop cold. 100% stop doing it. Stop thinking about it. Stop. Uh, and that was like the, f- the way that, cause it was really like a painful multi-year process. Like it's not Absolutely. like you just uh, immediately are like, uh, and this is like something I worked at in therapy for <laughs> like a lot. But, and so when I, when I decided to stop, I just was like, okay, I'm stopping a hundred percent completely. And it was really a weird thing for a lot of my friends at the time to be like, wait, why? And it's just like, I, ca- I can't, I don't want to go into it, but that, but I feel like this is what I needed to do. And so that's what I, what I did. I just stopped and I really haven't picked it up at all since. Wow. I mean, that sounds like going cold turkey from an addiction. Like that almost sounds like yeah. if you're like at a party, there's a piano there. You'd be like, hey, man, what's going on, dude? I thought I told you I'm done with this stuff. I can't be here right now. This piano. Here. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> the hell is well, it's this? funny when I think about like what it would be like to like pick up. I was a guitar player. So if I picked it up again mm-hmm. in my mind, it's like being an it's like I feel like it's being like a retired athlete in a sense. Like I, in my mind, I know how good I was and knowing how bad and stiff I would be like touching it right now makes it almost easier to never pick it up again because in my mind I'm still really good yeah I'm still like at you know at Berkeley College of Music shredding through like uh, jazz changes but it, you know in reality I would be like pretty middling to probably bad if I picked it up which wow. makes it easier I mean you know I did have that realization I also you know played music i mean nowhere near the level that you played it but 
I've recently bought a bass guitar as I'm going through my midlife crisis at 29. I love it. And I love it. I picked it up and I was just like, I played music. I got this shit. And man, I was garbage. I was garbage to the point where the dog had to leave the house because she couldn't tolerate how awful I sounded. Yeah, I tell you, it's music for me was uh, what made me attracted to it was I felt like it was a way to express to to express myself without having that expression tied to like any kind of like actual um concrete words mm. um and and it felt really deep to me and so um like going to music school was pretty shocking because you know music school is all the best players from their town like I was the best at my school, as the best of my town, I was good. You go there and it's like, oh, there's much bigger towns and there's a lot of towns in the whole world and you realize like how high up the pyramid of talent goes. Like there were, yeah. I remember this formative experience, like I went to jam with this guy who lived down the hall and he played like legitimately every instrument. Like he was a better guitar player than everybody. He played bass, played piano. He played like all the wind instruments and we just jammed. I played guitar and somebody else was like uh, uh, playing piano and he like played percussion on a cardboard box and it was like legitimately mind-blowing. He was getting tones and and, and <laughs> mel melodies out of it. And I was like, I wanted to kill myself. I was like, Jesus, like what the f – how how is – how can I even compete with like this level of, of playing? You just realize, you know, how, how much talent there is in the world and how hard it is because there's some people that are just like born with a level of talent that you're just not going to have. I don't know. Did you find like, do you find that like, as you've become a person who writes for a living where you're just like, oh, that, that person, forget oh, it. Like, I'll, I've been you know, I, I have been talking about this in therapy for a while now uh, in that like seeing how Lacey is blowing up specifically Lacey mm. has taught me in my life that I am not LeBron James of yeah by any stretch of the imagination. And I am like kind of coming to terms with and almost feeling free in the fact that I'm probably Garrett Temple and that's not a bad <laughs> thing to be. Sure. That's not sure. a bad thing to be. I'll always have a job. I'll always be working. People may not ever know who I am, but you know, the people who are really into the shit that I do will yeah. know who I am. But like, I, I just like, and I think it's just like, like you said, like there's this thing like with Lacey watching her and you know, she doesn't write, but just like her personality and how she can get it out there and how yeah. she can turn it on. Like, for example, she was on Conan the other night and her internet died and she went to her car and did the interview if my internet died, I'd be like, I'm sorry, Conan, I'm out. Yeah. I'm, walk I'm walking into the ocean. No one's ever going to hear from me again. Goodbye. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm panicking. I'm freaking out. I'm yeah. not. But Lacey's like has this like mentality of I will not yeah. be denied that I just like never had. And we like played on teams together at UCB. And like, I truly do feel like she would carry me at times because she has this star persona to her. And that's kind of where I'm at, where I'm learning, like, I'm just not that kind of dude. And I'm kind of like okay with it because I feel like I punish mm. myself a lot for not being that person. And I try to force myself to be that person, but I'm just not that guy. You know, one thing that I've found has been useful. A lot of people ask me, like, do you have imposter syndrome? I'm like, yes. Everyone I know who works in any kind of creative field has imposter syndrome. The only people who don't have imposter syndrome are the absolute assholes that you're not going to want to deal with. Those yes. literally the worst fucking people don't have imposter syndrome. But I, a thing that I've, I try to do is harness the anxiety of being like, okay, I'm not good enough. This isn't, this sucks to just like hitch my work ethic to it somehow so that, I do a little bit more research, do a little bit more polishing, iterate just a little bit more and make it like a 1%, whatever it is, make it 1% better because I'm worried that it's not good. And mm. then try to get off of that merry-go-round before I spiral into the, like, everybody's going to figure out very soon that I'm absolute shit. They're going to knock on the door and be like, we figured it out. You suck. Get out of here. Come with us. Come with us. Yeah. Come with us. You're gone. <laughs> um yeah, and it's you know as and I've gotten as I've gotten more into my writing career, it's like it, 
you encounter that just like you and Lacey, like you do encounter like the same kind of things that I, that I, um, encountered as, as a musician. Like, it's like, I know Core Jefferson, like, um, I remember I, so I did this pop-up magazine show, which is this kind of like spoken word show. It's like a live magazine with audiovisual live band and you tell a story. Oh, nice. Uh, and I, and I did it, uh, last year and the, I went on tour with it and I was here in LA doing it and Cord was in the lobby and we were, we were speaking, uh, cause I know him just through friends and we have, and he had done it like two years before, I guess. And he was like, so how, you know, how was it? How, you know, like, how, how are you finding? It? I'm like, oh, it's been really fun. Like the, the response is really great. He's like, do you get any, um, anybody come up to you and try to option your story? I'm like, no, because you're Cord Jefferson. That happens to you. You write yeah. for <laughs> Watchmen in Succession and Master yeah. of None. <laughs> so that's a thing that happens to you, Cord. <laughs> it's not a thing that happens <laughs> to like normal people. <laughs> it's so like, I mean, it's just so interesting, like being in the same space as some of these people where you're just like, it, yeah. it almost feels like you're living two different lives. But that being said, I remember... After I watched, you know, the final episode of NBA Desktop, mm -hmm. according to you, uh, that I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I went on Twitter to be like, I'm going to try to see on his Twitter if this is true. And I noticed that you were following me and I had never noticed this before. And I messaged you and I was just like, yo, like, is this really the last episode and all this? And you didn't answer me. You just said, I really appreciate you know, hearing kind words about the show from someone that I respect. And I mean, maybe you didn't say that. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Maybe you no, don't I think that's it. I think, I think, I think that's what I said. Was it surprising to you at all hearing this, like that you battle with imposter syndrome and all this stuff? Was it surprising to you at all to hear how many people were, I mean, that was my Twitter feed that day and there was some shit going on. Okay. Yeah. The election was still happening. Yeah, there was some shit you know what on. I mean? Uh, 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 COVID cases were rising and, Everywhere on my Twitter was, is this really the last episode of NBA Desktop? Was that surprising to you at all? Did, were you able to take that in? Were you able to feel that? Sure. Uh, it's a little bit like, you know, uh, it's a little bit like Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows when everybody thinks he's dead and he gets to hear, like, how much everybody loved him. It's <laughs> it, it was a little bit like that. Um, it felt good for sure. You know, like, uh, I mean, you know what it is, like. Everybody who try who works in any kind of creative field puts, for the most part, puts like their heart and soul into it. They really try. Sometimes the stuff is good. Sometimes it's not good. But everybody really tries. And then even if it's good, that doesn't mean that people will vibe with it or that people will find it. That's like out of your hands. All you can mm. do is like make the best thing you can. So it when people are like, yeah, I, I enjoyed this. This has brought me some kind of uh, joy in my life. It, it feels amazing. You know, it's like one of the best feelings. And especially like, you know, for you to reach out and for different people that um, – that we've had on the show over the years or that have like, you know, fucked with us on any level that are people that I think are, f are funny that do stuff that I really admire. That feels incredible, you know, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a comedy nerd comedy fan. Like I, I, before all this set in, I was going to UCB shows like legitimately twice a week just because I like it. Oh, I'm I, very I, sorry I like, for that. I know, but I like that. You're like, I like, I love being around funny people. All my friends in LA are comedians. Like mm -hmm. I, those are the people that, that I just uh, get energy from and that I love to be around. And if, and if people that I think are so funny and talented in any way thought the show was good, that's amazing to me. It's I mean, what incredible. you did, what you did on the show was basically prove that what the starters absolutely failed to do was possible like i'm, I'm just gonna be 100 honest like you know i remember watching the starters and i was just like i guess you just can't do a funny nba talk show like it's just not possible and then i saw your show and i was like oh wait no you can 100 do it like you figured out this formula of just like make it about the internet of it all and make it about like you know like almost make it feel like you're scrolling through the internet and it worked so well and i feel like that's why it resonated with so many people was because you yeah. were you were talking like NBA Twitter, like you captured that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I I, I think the one, the thing that um, allowed us to do that is Jason and I, the director, Jason Gallagher, we decided pretty early on that we were going to be like anti-access. Like what is, what makes NBA Twitter, NBA Twitter is like, it's not, 
I'm here hanging out with Anthony Davis and mm. a tweet, right? It's I, I'm at a remove from those people. I'm viewing them from uh, across the expanse of the internet, and that's how I'm going to cook. So while we never, we always were wanted to be really um, aware of not being like overly shitty and mean. We really felt like not leaning on guests is it would be like a crucial part of creating that that like internet kind of distance um and we've had we had people on over the years like we had ns Cantor on um but it was we wanted to like not go in that direction and create yeah. something that was like uh as much about what it's like to consume like sports media content as it was about the content and hopefully we succeeded but that's that's what we tried to do you definitely succeeded. I mean, to even pretend as if you didn't is, I understand where it's coming from, but you definitely <laughs> succeeded, man. I mean, that was what was so fun about the show. And I agree with you, like the real stars of the show, the real funny guests were people from Twitter. Like, you know what I mean? And yes. you had their handles at the bottom and you could be like, oh, this is someone that I read. And this is what's interesting about this rather than, like you said, like being like, oh, I got to have Anthony Davis on here to perform this really bad sketch. Like it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was better to just have it be the people who were it, it felt like a show for fans of the NBA. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we were trying to do. Appreciate that. At, at the top of this, we were talking and you, you kind of mentioned that you didn't grow up with necessarily any idols who were Filipino, anyone who you could point to and be like, who that's who I am. Anything like that right. today, right now, mm -hmm. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at your accomplishments behind you is an Emmy. Because you fucking right. did that thing. <laughs> you are that idol that you were seeking. That's like a fact. That's just a point. That's just a fact. So, fiction of it, there's a kid out there who was like you. Maybe he's growing up in an area who, you know, there aren't a ton of Filipino kids around. He isn't sure of himself. They aren't sure of themselves. What's something that you could say to them to inspire them? Um. Wow, that's a deep question. I think that getting to a place where as you try and figure out like what you want to do getting to a place where you accept um all your interests and all the things that went into creating you whether it's like like your family your broader cultural context the way you uh, engage with the the neighborhood around you all that stuff all those experiences like the dumb music you liked when you were a kid all that stuff is the is like the secret sauce that makes mm. you you and gives you a, a footprint that nobody else has that nobody a place on earth that nobody else stands in you know it's like we uh, NBA does stuff. We have an NBA show. We had an NBA show. There's a million people out there that know more about the NBA, that know more about pick and rolls, that can tell you all the stats, that uh, have better connections, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What made our show work is that we were able to um, create the thing that uh, only we could have created from the perspective that we had. It was weird in the way that we as, uh, you know, the people that made it were weird. It was it had a point of view. And that point of view comes from, you know, accepting the weirdness and all the weird stuff that you are. Like, as you go on and try to have a creative career, you're going to you're going to encounter situations where you're going to have to try and sell stuff to other people. You're going to have to, um, you know, sell concepts or make things appeal to uh you know, huge swaths of, of an audience. While you do that, always be aware that the thing that will separate you from all the other people that maybe are better at X, Y, Z than you is they don't have your experiences. They don't, they don't, um, they didn't like the dumb movies that you like. They don't <laughs> like the embarrassing stuff that you liked. And so just embrace all that. Embrace all the stuff that you got teased for, that you're maybe not like, uh, that you feel ashamed of in some way because of the cultural context you grew up in and figure out a way to see that through your work. 
how do you call on that in your work? If you're writing about sports, how do you connect that to the other stuff that you are genuinely interested in? And if you can like crack that code, then you will have a voice. And that's like the hardest thing to come up with in any kind of creative business. Well, look, I'm not a young Filipino kid, but that definitely spoke to me, man. So, Jason, thank you so much for being on, man. I thank really appreciate it. Me. This is fucking Good. dope. <laughs> Long time listener. That was a dope convo. Jason rules. He's such a such a dope dude. You know, uh, you find genuine people in this town, and you really should hold on to them. And that's not to say that everyone in this town isn't genuine. Like, you know, I am slowly weaning off the fuck LA sauce that I have been on for the last six years, as I've come to know that a lot of my issues with this town specifically aren't people from this town, more so than it is people who have come to this town and made parts of it bad. Yeah. But when you find the genuine person in this town, hold on to that. And if you're thinking about moving to LA, ask yourself, am I genuine? If you're not, stay home. That's my advice. You know, next time someone's like, hey, Edgar, what's your advice for someone moving to LA? I'd say, look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I genuine? If the answer is no, stay your ass at home. We don't need that. Yeah, you know, um, uh, I feel like I heard this is like such a weird old like podcast pull. I had it written down in like a like a journal. Um, but when Andrew WK was on um uh WTF <laughs> mm-hmm. Bird, he said something about apathy um that I it struck a chord with me at the time um that I don't remember now, unfortunately. And I think it's because um I, I did. It's not like I forgot the lesson or whatever. It's something about like a- apathy is like it's like um, it's like a smokescreen for. Ugh, I can't fucking remember. It was great though, but it was like people who are apathetic tend to think they're like witty and smart or whatever, but they're not really. They're just like miserable. Like, uh, like it's. I don't know. It was inter- It was interesting to me well, at the time. You know when Andrew WK has. Uh, you know, accomplish something of significance, then he can tell me what the fuck to think about apathy. How about that? Hey, I think it's a miracle that the man has kept the white t-shirts in business all this time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For everyone who can't see, Matt literally after that joke hit his asthma pump. And I think that's funny. (laughs) Felt a little tight. The asthmatics will know what I'm talking about. Look, uh, Queen of the Week, pretty simple. You know, uh, uh, it would be incredibly stupid to do a Queen of the Week and not point out the obvious Queens of the Week. Yes. And that is black woman as a whole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, once again, black women have uh, saved the day. Now... Here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to idolize that or iconicize that. I didn't say that word right, but fuck it. Because, look, how long are we going to keep putting things on black women? Let's just be honest. How much weight do you think they can handle? How many more plates are we going to add to the barbell? I could metaphor forever. It's unfair. You know, sometimes black women just want to relax and chill. Sometimes they don't want to save democracy. Sometimes they don't want to tell you why what you did was racist. Sometimes they just want to exist. But they'll, they keep answering the calls because we are fucking up. Black men. We fuck up. White men, we fuck up. And I know they don't want to hear this, but I'll say it. White women, y'all fuck up. Everybody else, Latinx, Asian, Arab, 
Jamaicans? I don't know. I just wanted to include Jamaicans in a different list. I don't thought it would be funny. But we fuck up. And I think, look, I get it. Tweeting out, black women are the best. Black women save us. Might feel great. But, you know, my mom used to say something every Mother's Day. And she'd say, instead of getting me a gift, just get good grades. And I think at some point, instead of tweeting out thanks to black women, maybe we should do some introspective work, look at ourselves, and just, you know, do the thing so that it's not necessary for them to come and save us. That's your Queen of the Week this week. Queen of the Week! You can find Jaquise at Jaquise Neal on all social media. Find me, you know what? At Edgar Mopes, you're at Awfulgram. We'll see how long those two things stick around. You can uh, find a podcast at Culture Kings Pod. You guys, as this year is coming to an end, I do want to say, respect the parts of you that you hate.